Morning. Um, I'd like to, uh, I've got to kind of update you on some things here as to why I'm up here today and not George. If you saw in the schedule, George Stulak was, was uh, scheduled to preach. But I learned late Friday that he uh, unfortunately came down with COVID. So um, the good thing, I spoke with him yesterday and, and he was not feeling well, but he also said he was at his desk doing work. So that was encouraging to me that he was, he was doing some work and must, uh, uh, fortunately is not, is not uh, taken down too much by this. But we want to continue to pray for, for George and Barbara. Uh, they've been so careful, especially with their grandson, Warren, after going through leukemia treatment, uh, now through that treatment, but still vulnerable. So um, just want to make sure we remember praying for them and, and uh, loving on them through the next few days. In fact, let's pray now. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you, Lord, for the um, just the the love and passion that our brother George has for your word, to preach it, to teach it, and as we've all who, who know him, to live it. Um, I pray that you be with him and Barbara, protect them from, from this virus, uh, protect Warren, be with them and, and bless them. And Lord, pray for the preaching of your word this morning, that you would shape us by it. Lord, be with, uh, with me as I preach, and pray that you would shape our hearts and turn our eyes to you that we would follow you with a deeper faith. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're going to pause our series in John for today. Um, and, and by the way, so when you're planning something in two days, I started off thinking that the sermon text was going to be what John just so beautifully read. Um, it's related, but it's, uh, it's not the sermon text today. But um, it is related to it. Uh, what we're going to do, I think, is look at this, uh, kind of prepare our, ourselves for John 2. Um, George next week is going to finish out chapter 1, and then we're going to get into a new section of John. As you know, chapter 1 introduces Jesus as the Messiah, as God in the flesh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But the next section, chapters 2 through 12, is known as the Book of Signs. And this first chapter presents a challenge. Remember, the, the, the object of John when he's writing is that we would believe. And the first chapter presents a challenge to the reader. The reader is challenged to believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. But we need to be prepared for this next section because this is when the reader of John's gospel is confronted with the works of Christ. Works that are unnatural. In fact, we call them supernatural works or the best word for them is miracles. Miracles are those things that happen outside of how things naturally work. When we think of what we predict, the way things ought to, or the way, the, the way things go as we know them to go. If I drop this pen, I know it's going to drop. But if it hung in the air, that would be supernatural. That would be not the way we thought it was supposed to be. John 2 begins a section that challenges the unbeliever to consider that there is some power outside of nature. 
working outside the realm of what we understand is normal. And that power is a power that's working in Jesus of Nazareth, God in the flesh. But there are people who may believe in God. In fact, I read commentaries like this when I was in seminary. That there were some who denied miracles altogether. Didn't deny Jesus. Didn't deny Jesus existed. But they denied that any of the miracles that were recorded in the Gospels weren't true. And why? Because they were outside of the realm of nature. They had to have something that they could explain. They had some, they, they, if, if they couldn't explain it, it didn't happen. There was no such thing as a supernatural to some. In fact, in his book on miracles, C.S. Lewis tells of uh, the only person he says that he knew who actually saw a ghost. You ever see a ghost? I have not. But he tells of only one person who said they saw a ghost. It was a good friend of his. And he goes on to tell that even though this friend of his was convinced that she saw a ghost with her own two eyes, that same friend still did not believe in the afterlife, didn't believe in the spiritual world. Why? Lewis' friend simply suggested that perhaps the ghost was a figment of her imagination, perhaps it was her mind playing tricks on her, or some other way to explain it. For this person, there had to be a rational explanation for why she saw something that was outside of the realm of nature, something supernatural. You see, seeing for Lewis's friend was not believing. Seeing for Lewis's friend, seeing this supernatural uh, uh, vision was just an obst obstacle that got in the way of her current beliefs of how she thought things were supposed to be. But think about it. If that friend of Lewis's believed that that ghost was actually a supernatural being, what would that do to how she saw life, to how she saw the world? Perhaps she would rethink life, rethink death, rethink judgment, rethink the existence of God, the whole spiritual realm. My guess is she would live differently. So this gospel will ask us, this portion of the gospel will ask us, what kind of God do you believe in? For Lewis's friend, seeing only required an explanation that just took time to think up. But to think outside the realm of nature and to see, to think and imagine a God that is actually outside the realm of nature is recognizing a God of possibilities, a God that's unpredictable. What John is saying is that to believe in the person of Jesus Christ requires that we first believe that there is a God who works outside of the natural world, outside of our logic, outside of our reasoning, that he created the world, but he's also sovereign over the rule of creation. Do you believe that the God of chapter 1 who created all things came in the flesh and worked miracles? Do you believe that God is still working today? Do you believe that he's still intervening in nature today? To believe that there's a God who works outside of nature is to believe in the possibility of miracles, of healing, of deliverance, 
It's to change the way we live. It's to live in, in a hope, even a fear, because he's unpredictable. Because he's doing things that we cannot explain all the time. He may call you to die for him. He may call you to serve him. He may call you to a completely different way of life. Is he good? Yes. But is that kind of God safe? The author of Hebrews says in chapter 11, which we just went through not long ago, he says this, by faith, by believing, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, we believe that there is a creator that works outside of the natural realm. And that is what, God, what John is beginning to introduce to us here. And then later, the writer of Hebrews says this in verse 6, For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So to move from chapter 1 into chapter 2, we need to believe we're called on by John to believe that this God exists, but that he also engages with his creation, that he also engages with the world that he created. He intervenes. He has relationship with the creation. He has relationship with his people. But it's not one that we can predict. It's not one that we can understand always. Many times, the works of God make us ask questions. Sometimes they make us angry. Read the Psalms. The psalmists don't understand what God is doing sometimes. Isaiah says in chapter 55, For my thoughts, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is John's message at the beginning of the gospel. In the beginning was God. And the word was with God and the word was God. But there is a presupposition, this acknowledgement that the reader knows of God Almighty. He's saying, this is God. And the word was God. And Jesus is God in the flesh. But after establishing that God and the word are one, that the God and the, the creator exists, and then to show that the creator God also engages his creation, now he's going to take us into a place where God is doing things that people don't expect. So not only is he calling on us to believe in a God who exists, but a God who engages. When we believe, and by the way, this is a short sermon today. When we believe that an all-powerful, supernatural God exists and engages, then we see new possibilities. Think about this. When we see Christ coming and changing water into wine, when we see him feeding the 5,000, and when we hear the teachings that he's talking about, about destroying this temple and now rebuild it, we recognize that there's something different about him, that he's doing things that cannot be explained, that cannot be predicted. He's a God who's working outside of the natural. When we believe that an all-powerful, supernatural God exists and engages us, then we see new possibilities. We see a way of deliverance outside of our own reasoning. At times where we're prone to say it'll never work. At times when we're saying there's no hope. 
The times when we're prone to say, just forget it, because I know how this is going to go. We're called on to trust a God who works in the midst of those times. We're called to trust on a God and not just give up, but to trust that the God who created us is also the God who works outside of the natural, uh, outside of nature and is able to intervene in how he wills and how he will do it. And we're called on to trust that, to believe that he is able, but also to believe that he will do what he will do. We're called on to trust the work, that there's hope that he's working outside of what you and I can understand. Healing is possible. Redemption is possible. Deliverance is possible. There, there's, a, there's a story I heard. Uh, I don't know if any, how many of you saw the movie that Bill Arts showed uh, a couple years ago in the gallery. It was about refugees who were coming to Greece. and They were coming into the port in Athens escaping. I think they might have been Sudanese refugees. I, I don't remember. But, um, but they were coming in on a boat, and they were coming in, in in unsafe conditions. Families were just climbing on the boats with their children. The, the, the life jackets weren't all inflated the way they should be. There were overcrowded boats, and there, were, there was all kinds of accidents they talked about. There were a lot of stories. But one story that was told was of this family who had their little girl on the boat, and the water was getting rough, and the little girl fell off the boat, and it was night, and they couldn't find her. And they were screaming, the mother was saying to save my daughter, and, and, and nobody could see her, nobody on the boat, they were all trying to, to save her. They were all turned around looking over the boat, and they said, but then we turned around and we saw on the boat was my daughter. And nobody knew how she got on the boat. And the daughter said, this man in white was in the water and he put me on the boat. Many times we're, 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 we're prone to say, okay, what really happened? Are you one who's thinking, what really happened there? Or are you one to say, praise God. Praise God for doing something we did not even expect and for glorifying himself and showing that he is who he is. This is the faith that we're called. This is the God that we are called to believe in. It's also the God who sometimes does not intervene when we think he should. And we can't figure out why. But this is the God that John is presenting. This is the Savior, the Messiah that John is presenting to us. Is he good? Absolutely, he is good. But is he safe? Without a God who works outside of nature, there is no hope for deliverance. Think about this. If God only works within nature, how could he overcome death? Without a God who, over, who, who supersedes nature, death is the end. Death is the rational end to life. There is nothing else because that is the way it is. But John wrote this book, that John wrote this gospel that we may believe otherwise because it is otherwise. That we may know that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to overcome the natural state of death. 
came to overcome natural darkness and bring in supernatural light, to overcome and defeat the natural process of death and decay and make us and to make all things new. That is the God that is being presented to us. That is the Savior, brothers and sisters, as we go into John, that is being presented to us. And may God give us eyes to see him working and to believe in his power in our lives, our families, and our church as we go from here. Amen. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are not a Savior that we design or that we have any grip on. But you know all things and you work outside of our logic. You work outside of nature for your good, for your glory, that you may redeem all things and make all things new. Thank you. May that be ever before us, Lord. It's in Christ's name. Amen.